Why don't we just stand and we'll read from Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been for you born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a head multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem, then, and see this thing that happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as been told them. Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. As you could tell by the reading this morning, we read from Luke's Gospel in chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at the birth of Christ from the perspective of the shepherds who are watching their fields that wonderful night in Bethlehem. But we are going to be doing something a little different this morning, in that I won't be directly preaching from the text. Instead, we're going to be doing an interview. An interview. And the reason was I was able to locate and invite one of the first-hand eyewitnesses to the events that happened that night in Bethlehem. Please welcome our shepherd, Eli. Thank you for having me. Good morning, Eli. It's great to meet you and have you here with us this morning. I trust you are doing well and have been enjoying your stay in Okotoks. Yes, I have been doing very well, thank you. My time in Okotoks has been a wonderful experience so far. Well, I heard you're staying at the Thiessen's house. That's probably a huge contributing factor as to why you're enjoying your stay. <laughs> you are right about that. They are uh, interesting and, and amazing. <laughs> interesting, yeah. Buster's definitely interesting. Your dog, yeah, but his dog, yeah, their dog, I should say, is... Uh, Quite the animal. About the same intellect as a sheep. Yeah, <laughs> totally. 
Well, I know you realize uh, why you're here this morning. Um, the truth is, we are all very interested in your story about the events that happened at that particular night in the fields of Bethlehem and at the time of uh, Christ's birth. And from what I've gathered in talking to you earlier, I know you have a lot to say about that. So before we jump in, though, uh, I would like to hear your story as to what it's like to be a shepherd. I mean, we know what you do. I mean, Luke tells us in verse 8 that you watch flocks. But your job is much more detailed than just watching flocks, isn't it? For sure. I appreciate you asking me because it, uh, it actually is much more involved than just watching sheep. It can be quite a hard life. After I wake up, I take care of my own needs. My first priority is to take my flocks out of their pen and into the pasture so they can forage for food and will get water. Reason is my flocks are not fed in the pen. The pen is a place for rest and for protection. You might be interested though in the way in which I get them moving in the morning. You see, every shepherd has a unique voice in which only the sheep will respond to. You may remember Jesus making reference to this in John chapter 10. He said, the gatekeeper opens the gate of the shepherd and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them up. Of course, Jesus was referencing this to make a point that he is the good shepherd. Also, sorry, those who claim to be of his fold truly listen to his voice and he knows them and they follow him. Well, that's really cool about the, the voice call. Um, so like what happens next then once the sheep are out of the pasture and they have found food and water? It's a good question. My main job is to ensure their safety, to keep them alive. Any of you who are familiar with sheep know that they are not the most intelligent animal. Several factors contribute to the threatening of their safety. Firstly, you can see they can easily wander off and get lost, and so they become prey to other animals such as wolves and lions and bears. You'll remember King David had to deal with this in his youth, when he was a shepherd. In 1 Samuel 17, Goliath had been a menace to the Israelites, and they were looking for someone brave enough within Israel's army to go and fight him. And after days of searching, no one was willing to do it. Then David showed up from the fields and offered to go ahead with head to head with Goliath. You will remember the response from Saul. Saul told David he was too young and inexperienced to do the job. And then David responded in this way in 1 Samuel 17, 34. Goliath's right there. Oh, perfect. Screens everywhere. We're not used to this. <laughs> David said to Saul, your servant, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came to look came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by the hair and struck him and killed him. So you can see a shepherd's flock are always under threat of danger, but not only the flocks, but our lives as well. Well, I imagine then your job is at times quite the adrenaline rush as you're facing things like lions and wolves and whatnot. Are there any other, though, outside uh, sources of dangers that you face? Yeah, for sure. Other human beings, thieves and robbers. Because sheep are valuable for providing food and clothing, they are an attractive commodity. I know I quoted Jesus from John 10 before, but remember what he said in verse 1? Truly, I truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. 
Jesus knew the hardship that we had potentially faced, and so he used this analogy, and because he knew the people of the Jewish culture would get it. Well, it's such a dangerous job, like you must carry some kind of implements or tools to protect yourself. Is that right? Yes, I have a few tools that I use. Firstly, there's my crook, which I use not only for herding sheep, but as a weapon for self-defense, as well as a slingshot, which in the hands of a skilled shepherd is a deadly tool. You will remember, but this is what David used when he killed Goliath. And finally, I travel with dogs, which not only are useful for herding the sheep, but for protection and warning as well. Well, maybe you can take Buster back with you, hey, when you go back to Israel and he can be useful. I think we'll be back <laughs> with the pieces. Well, I didn't realize how uh, dangerous your job was, and um, it's clearly not for the, the faint-hearted. But out of interest, are there any other hardships that you would uh, face that you would want to share with us this morning? Sure. One of the key things I have to face on a daily basis has to do with where I live. Life in Israel is not is very similar to Canada in that it depends on the season. There can be huge fluctuations in weather. Like you, we often experience extreme shifts in temperature, hot, cold, and often in the same day. So as you can imagine, with my job being primarily outdoors, shelter is often hard to come by and life at times can be quite miserable. You may remember that this was one of Jacob's complaints when he was working far from his uncle, for his uncle Laban, tending his flocks in Genesis 31:40. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night and sleep fled from my eyes. So as you can see, life can be quite miserable at times. What also makes my job hard is the terrain. Although there are extremely fertile lands in Israel, in places the land can be quite rugged and often hard to find plentiful resources such as food and water. My job can be very physically demanding. But once the evening comes and the day comes to a close, I bring the flocks back to the pen for the night. And I stand at the gate, I use my unique call to gather them in, counting them as they pass under my staff to ensure that none of them are missing. Once I know they are all accounted for, then I seek some rest. Eli, I really uh, appreciate you sharing what your life and job is like. Um, it's been very helpful for me, and I'm sure it is for you, the rest of our church, knowing that they probably just thought that your life is pretty mundane and boring and quite easy at times. But uh, you, you gave us a true picture of what it's like to be a shepherd. Definitely uh, not for the faint-hearted. Um, we'd like to now turn, though, with you to the story and events surrounding Jesus' birth in Luke's Gospel. So hope you don't mind that we go there. Sure, go ahead. Well, in verse 8 and 9, in, in Luke, Luke tells us something incredible happened one particular night. That while you were in the region of Bethlehem and out in the fields watching over your flocks by night, that an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before you, and the glory of the Lord shone around you, and you all were terribly frightened. If you could tell us a bit about that, that must have been quite the emotional upheaval you had to face. The whole thing was incredible. I can remember it like it was yesterday. Luke was completely accurate when he wrote that we were terribly frightened. First of all, you have to imagine our shock when all of a sudden the darkness of night was lit up with the brilliance of the glory of God. You see, in the Old Testament, that, glory, that God's glory is something we behold. 
when the prophet Ezekiel, chapter one, experienced the presence of God's glory in a vision, he completely crumbled and fell face down into the dirt. And as if that wasn't enough, our fears were also based on who we knew was standing before us, an angel of the Lord. Now this was no ordinary angel, this was an appearance of God himself. You see, there are several appearances of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. And in many, many of those instances, those who encountered him feared for their lives because they knew they had seen God. Take Samson's parents, for example, in Judges 13. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah and his wife to tell them of the birth of Samson and notice what he said to her. We shall surely die, for we have seen God. So yeah, we were scared, and for good reason. No, man, I really appreciate that, because I didn't fully understand exactly how come you're so terrified, but now I get it. I imagine then it must have come as a huge relief when the angel of the Lord revealed to you that they hadn't come to judge you, but they had come for a different reason, and there was no reason to fear. For sure. As Luke records in verses 10 and 12, through 12, the angel said to us, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there is born a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Well, how did you process that? As Jews, we lived in the expectation for coming of our Messiah. And we believed one day he would come and be the Savior for the Jews. But what I missed that night, that I have come to realize now, is what Christ truly came to save us from. My belief as a Jew was that the salvation that Christ was going to accomplish for us was a political one, a salvation from a world to free us from the tyranny of Rome and to reestablish Israel as an autonomous nation. But looking back on it now, I realized that the good news that God was declaring to me was not that Christ was going to be a political savior, but a spiritual one. He had come to save us from the power and penalty of our sins. And not just for the Jews, but for the entire world, as Luke rightly said at the end of verse 10, a savior for all people. Well, Eli, I know for me personally, and from the people here at Genesis House, we are super grateful for that message. As I know, again, that many of us would not know where we'd be without experiencing God's grace to us. But from what I can read from Luke, it looks like this message was not only a cause for celebration in the earthly realm, but in the heavenly one as well. Yes, after the angel of the Lord made his announcement to us, a magnificent heavenly quarrel broke out from the heavens, saying, Glory to God in the highest heavens, and on earth, peace to those in whom his favor rests. That must have been incredible to witness. Let me put it this way. All of us know what it's like to experience great worship and what it can do for your spirit. All I can say about that night is you really needed to be there. There's no words that can describe what it was like. Well, I have no doubt about that. Um, but before we move on, um, there's something in your story that really stands out to me. And that's God's choice of you as shepherds to bring that good news. He didn't choose the religious leadership of the day to bring that message. He didn't choose the synagogue officials. He didn't choose the Pharisees. He didn't even choose the high priest to make that public knowledge. 
He made it revealed to you as shepherds, the lowly, the humble, that Jesus Christ was born and had come as that Savior. What an incredible thing to imagine and just to, to process. Um, and I'm not trying to put you down or anything or marginalize you by, by sort of demeaning your position or anything like that. But again, choosing you over the high priest in Israel, what an incredible honor. Well, that is so like God, isn't it? To show grace, not to the proud, but to the, those who are unassuming and marginal in our society. It reminds me of Jesus' words in Matthew eleven twenty five. O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, and for revealing them to those that are childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. That's such a powerful verse. Getting back to your story then, the announcement came to you that the Christ had been born. Uh, you were told where to find him, and the angels were glorifying God in heaven. What, what happened next? Well, to answer that question, it's found in verse 15. When the angel had gone away from us, we decided to head straight for Bethlehem and see everything that God held, told us and promised us. When we arrived, we found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the Christ child lying in the manger, just like God said we would. And so when you arrived in the scene then and saw them for the first time, like what did you say? Well, Luke tells us in verse 17, we made known to them the statement which we had been told about the Christ, how God broke through the night and shocked us with his radiance, how he told us about the fact that a savior had been born to us, who was Christ. And we heard an angelic host of heaven saying praises to God for his birth. And just as importantly, where we were to find him. And so was there a mixed response in the stable that night? Like how did people respond to your testimony? Well, some of the people who were present wondered about the things we told them. Now, I don't mean to use the word wonder as if people were curious about what we reported. Luke used the word to mean marvel or be amazed. Luke used the same word in chapter 8, verse 25, when he spoke about the disciples being amazed at Jesus' power when he calmed the winds and waves in the Sea of Galilee. So yeah, somewhere in awe. But that wasn't Mary's reaction, was it? You're right. She responded to our report in a very different way. Verse 19, Luke rightly records that she treasured all these things, pondered them in her heart. I guess by this point in Mary's life, she was getting accustomed to the supernatural and all things that God was doing in and around her. Like us, she also, she also experienced God doing significant supernatural things in her. For example, she had watched her Aunt Elizabeth be told that she would give birth to a son despite her old age and being barren. She also had been visited by God and told that she was going to carry the Christ child, even though she was a virgin. She had also seen her husband, Joseph, go through something similar, told in a dream, do not be afraid, Mary. Do not be afraid to take Mary as his wife. So our message, although remarkable, was not out of line with what Mary was seeing God do. Well, Eli, you may or may not know this, but we actually had Mary here last year, and her story was pretty amazing. Yeah. So after all these things happened then, at some point you had to get back to your flocks, right? I mean, you mentioned how vulnerable they were and kind of how dumb they are. You probably need to get back there and make sure they're all right. So tell us a little bit about that. 
Well, when we left, we traveled back to our flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that we had seen and heard. How could we, and how couldn't we? After all we experienced, God had sent his son, his only son, into the world to be our savior. And we got to see him. It was a joyous occasion. And we couldn't hold back and stop celebrating such good news. What an incredible story. We are all grateful that you are able to be here this, with us this morning and sharing this, and we've learned a lot. Before you leave, though, I just want to ask you uh, one final question. Looking back on that night, and after having time to process all the things you heard and saw, what would you want us at Genesis House to know this Christmas season and to take away from our time together this morning? Christmas is about Christ. Around the world, Christ has increasingly become everything but that, more materialistic, commercialized, to the point that it is overwhelming. For some, maybe even many, it brings stress, sorrow, or loneliness. But just as the angel of the Lord said to us shepherds, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, all people, young, old, sick, lonely, burdened, those who feel their sins are too great, he came for all of us. How will we respond to this baby born of humble beginnings? With fear as Herod did, or with joy as the shepherds did? So if you're here this morning and you want to receive Christ with the joy this Christmas season, this is what the Lord requires of us. Remember, he came as our savior, not a political one, but one to save us from our sins. And since this is the reality, we first have to do a couple things. Simple as ABCD. Acknowledge we have sinned against God. Admit that we all have a track record, track record of some pretty terrible stuff. Small sins, big sins, he's forgiven them all. Believe that God did something about it, that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to take the penalty of sins. He died in our place, a death we rightly deserve so that we do not have to face the judgment of God. Confess our sins. Tell him the things we know we did wrong. Take responsibility for putting Christ on the cross, owning our wrongs. Finally, dedicate our lives to him as a love response to his love for us. Jesus' death wasn't meant, was meant to change us and make a difference in how we live. Well, thank you for that good news and for the gospel message. We pray for everyone who walks through these doors that they receive that with joy, receive him with joy this Christmas season. Thanks, Eli. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded through this message in Luke that the Christmas is about Christ. In fact, the very word Christmas, the first few letters are C-H-R-I-S-T. So even though our world tries to spell Christmas differently with an X or whatever else, um, we know that it's about you. And this season only exists because of your grace and love that was given to us 2,000 years ago. We pray now for Genesis House to um, remember that as we move into the busy season. We also pray for opportunities to share our faith with others and to bring us shepherd-like people Lord, we ask that you don't bring us the Pharisees who are just going to walk away from us and snub their nose. We ask for the shepherd-like people in Oversoaks that have a soft heart, 
and are in a state of lowliness and humbleness, who are desperate for uh, hope and joy through a hard time for many people. We pray, God, for that harvest to be given to us, and that even next week on Sunday we see new people because we've invited people and, and there's newcomers that are looking for some kind of hope. We thank you for this morning and look forward to our meeting. We'd ask you to guide us in that too, because sometimes those can be hard to work through and maybe a bit chaotic at times. So we ask for Holy Spirit's presence just to do the administration side of things as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.